All right. Well, happy Mother's Day, moms. Y'all give all these moms in here the appreciation they deserve. Come on, somebody. They work hard for us. Man, my name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. It's so good to have you guys with us on this beautiful Mother's Day today. Mother's Day is my favorite. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm a mama's boy. I got, no, I got no reservations about it. It was intimidating to my wife when we got married. I am a serious mama's boy, and I love my mom so much. I appreciate all the mamas and all the hard work they do. I thank everybody that came out for just for child dedication today. Well, wasn't that special? Um, we, we dedicated my daughter Dagny in the 9 a.m. service, and, and I got a little bit emotional because I just, I love it. I, I love everything that it means and just challenging parents to be God's love to their children. And I love just to think about the promise and the purpose that lives inside of my daughters, you know, that, that God is right now. He's dreaming up the biggest dreams for them. And and I just, I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. So thank you guys so much for being here today. Mamas, I hope that somebody in your life made you feel special this morning, that somebody brought you breakfast in bed or something silly like that. You know, I got to tell you, breakfast in bed, I think it gets over-romanticized in television and movies, like it's made to be this great thing. I got problems with breakfast in bed, okay? Because I got to pee first thing in the morning when I wake up. I don't want you to set a big tray full of food down on my bladder before I do that, you know, bring me more coffee, like that's what I want. I want to go to the bathroom. And then, and then once I've gone to the bathroom, I'm already up. I might as well eat breakfast at the dining room table like a normal person. And then the other thing is, my bed is a place for sleeping. I don't want to eat breakfast there because I'm going to roll over the next night and wake up with a strawberry smush to my face, okay? That's not what I want to do. But anyway, since I'd seen it on TV, I always made breakfast and bread for my mom on Mother's Day. So you're welcome, Mom. And in fact, and in fact, I started doing this when I was seven years old. And so, you know, I couldn't cook nothing. And so what I would do is I would get a bowl of Frosted Flakes and I'd fill it up to the very top with milk, you know, because that's what seven-year-olds do. Impossible not to spill it. And I would bring it to her in bed. And that was her breakfast in bed. And that became our tradition. Every Mother's Day morning until I moved out of the house, I brought her soggy Frosted Flakes in bed to celebrate Mother's Day. So here's to hoping somebody brought you soggy Frosted Flakes this morning. Mama, if you're watching online, I was eating a soggy bowl of Frosted Flakes in your name this morning here in Asheville. Well, before I get into the message, I've got a special message prepared this morning for our moms, but also just, I think, I think we've all got something we can learn uh, from this story we're going to watch today or, or, or listen to today. But before I get into that, I've got a couple of things to share with you. First, uh, if, if you've been coming for a while and you're ready to get plugged in, and you're not going to lunch with your mom after, we've got Growth Track Step 2 today right after service. I know that's a lot sadder than lunch with your mom, but you know what? Sometimes mom doesn't live here. And we believe in consistency, so we do the class every week no matter what. Robbie told me we shouldn't. I said, to heck with it. If it's just me, I'm going to discover my purpose. And so... After service at 1245 downstairs, we are having growth track step two. Now, this is a, where we step in and really where we begin to discover our gifts in the way that God's made you. And so it's a great class to take. If you haven't been to step one, you can still go. Um, and then we're going back into step three next week. And if you missed step two, don't worry. We're going to do it again on the second weekend of next week month. The other thing I want to share with you is if you are here at the gathering and this is your church home, 
and you have never been in a life group, let me tell you something, you're missing out on the best thing that we have to offer you. We really believe that the church is built on relationships, that it's about a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with his people. And that's what we, we believe, and we move everything towards here at the Gathering Church. And, and we believe life is meant to be lived together alongside somebody. We've got this process we believe God's laid out in Scripture here. Know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. And one of the most important and difficult pieces of that pathway is to find freedom. And we believe that happens in community, in life groups. That it's alongside others pursuing a relationship with Jesus, that really, we really find freedom from our mistakes, from our habits, from our sins, from our guilt of the past, from all of it, that we want to leave behind so we can move towards our purpose and the future God has planned for us. And so uh, we really want to encourage you to get excited about life groups. And this Sunday, we are starting signups if you want to lead a life group. Now, summer's a great time to lead a life group because it's just a six-week semester. It's short. The commitment is low. We're not requiring as much out of you, so you can just lead a, a, a repelling uh, class for your life group this time. You could do underwater basket weaving. You could do a motorcycle wheelies life group if you wanted to. Um, you know, we've got a skydiving life group. It's very expensive to join. They go every Tuesday. And so there's all kinds of options of how you can get involved that was all jokes. None of those exist. Um, a lot of ways you can get involved in leading a life group. I want to encourage you to sign up to, to lead in your passion today, right after service, go to the Connect Center, and we can't wait uh, to get engaged in community with you this Sunday. If you don't want to lead one, but you have the space to host one, you can do that too, and we'll partner you with somebody who wants to lead one but doesn't have the space to do it. It's a great way to build friendships and long-lasting community here. And then the last thing I want to share with you before I get into the message is I want to just prepare you for the summer that we've got coming up, our next eight weeks at the gathering. I'm very excited. We save our best series for the summer, no joke. Uh, we really do. And so starting next Sunday, we're going to be entering a series called You Asked For It. You Asked For It is a brand new series for us uh, where we're going to, what we've been doing over the last couple weeks is receiving some of your questions. So we've asked you, what do you want us to preach on from this stage? What questions do you want to hear the church answer? What are the, what are the things you've been wondering and, and you, you've got to get an answer on? And you, we, we've got a website where you can, can submit that, gatherashville.org slash questions, or you can just go to our website and there's a banner you can click. It'll take you right there. And you can submit your questions and that's what we're going to preach on over the next four weeks. Whatever's asked the most is what I'm going to talk about for the next four weeks. And so I, I anticipate talking about some difficult things. I anticipate talking about some controversial things, talking about some things that our, 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 our culture are big on, but the church is not big on right now. I, it's going to be a difficult, challenging, and I believe uh, grace and truth-filled series. And so I really want you to be a part of it. Um, next week, we're kicking it off by answering the question, is Christianity the only way to heaven? That's our number one most asked question right now on the website, and so um, it's only going to get harder from there, so you guys are going to want to come. In fact, this is a great series to invite your friends to, because they're asking these questions as well. And so on your way out today, you'll pass us a board that has invitation cards on it. Grab a couple on your way out and give them to people you know. And then right after that, we're doing a series called Something's Brewing, where we'll be studying the beer-making process, because this is Asheville, and looking at the life of Joseph 
and talking about how God develops potential in us. So that's what's coming. Let's talk about what we're here to talk about today. It is Mother's Day, and so I want us to learn today from uh, the second most important, maybe the most important mother in all of the Bible, aside from Mary, the mother of Jesus, and that, that's my mother, um, Vi Ann Redwine. We'll be talking about you this morning. I'm just kidding. My mom may be the most important mom in all time, but we're talking about Sarah today, the wife of Abraham. You know, what I like to do from time to time is look at these people in the Bible who lived these extravagant lives, who God did these amazing, huge things through. And I like to just try to, try to imagine what it would be like to sit with them and to ask them a few questions, just to learn from their story a little bit. Because I think sometimes when we read the Bible and we see the lives that these people live, they feel larger than life. And they feel like they're outside of our grasp and outside of our ability to attain a life like that. But I think it's important that we remember that despite the context differences, despite the thousands of years that separate us, they're people just like me and you, just regular people who God intervened in their lives and did extraordinary things. And I believe he still does that today in our lives. And so it's so much fun for me to be able to study and learn from these folks that we see in the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's this long list of people that we call the Hall of Faith. Get it? It's like the Hall of Fame, but faith. Real lame, right? Yeah, I know. I like it. Now, it's worth noting that before I get into that, it's worth noting that there have been a lot of important and very influential women in the Bible. God has used women in powerful ways more than once through the story of the relationship between God and humanity. We see women take positions of leadership. We see women have close relationships with God. We see women shape the future of a nation. So if you're a woman and you've ever been made to feel like your role in life or your role in the church is small or second to the role of a man, that's not the picture the Bible clearly paints. And I want you to know the purpose God created you with is just as important as any purpose He's ever given anybody else. And so I love to learn from some of the women in the Bible. I've got two daughters, and it's important to me that they grow up knowing that truth. And so in this list, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, only two women appear, but they're, they're important. One of them is Rahab, and she's a prostitute who actually is responsible for helping the Hebrew people get into the promised land, and she would become an ancestor of Jesus. And then the second is Sarah, the wife of Abraham, going all the way back to Genesis. Hebrews 11.11 says, By faith, even Sarah, who is past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. Sarah's story is a story of a promise. It's a story of impatience. And it's a story of God's faithfulness. So let's see what we can learn from her today. I think if Sarah were going to give us advice today, if she were going to sit down with us and share her story, she'd start by warning us, don't complicate God's promise with your solution. Don't complicate God's promise with your solution. Sarah received an unbelievable promise from God, but she couldn't wait for him to deliver it. In Genesis chapter 15, God makes a promise to Abraham and Sarah, then called Abram and Sarai. 
He tells them their offspring are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. What a promise. How many of you grandparents are wishing that their, your children's offspring would outnumber the stars in the sky and you're praising God that your offspring didn't outnumber the stars in the sky this morning? Come on, somebody. Genesis chapter 15. Uh, join me. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Let's read the promise this morning. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. This was when their names were different. God changed their names uh, from Abram and Sarah to Abraham and Sarah. So this is still the same guy. It says, Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus. And so a tradition in Abraham's world was that if you died without a male heir, that everything you owned would go to the highest servant in your household. Verse 3, And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. But then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. God said, Abram, I'm going to tell you, go look outside. Can you count the stars? No, you can't. I know you can't. There's too many. But just as far-reaching and just as unimaginably large as the sky at nighttime will be the reach of your offspring. That what I'm going to do through you, the way I'm going to affect the world through your children, you can't even put numbers on it, Abraham. What a promise. I believe God loves an extravagant promise. I think those are his favorite kind, and I think he still makes them to us today. I think he's got extravagant promises waiting for your life. Wow, can you imagine? What a big promise, except 10 years go by and nothing happens. Can you imagine? God lays in front of Abraham and Sarah this huge, wonderful, life-changing promise. And 10 years goes by without a single thing happening towards it. Ten years pass and they don't have a kid. And they're old. Now listen, they were 90 years old when they got the promise. The Bible says somehow they were still in childbearing age. I don't know how it all works. Okay? I don't know how it all works. But she's 100 when she has the kid. And I want to tell you, 100 is outside of childbearing age. Okay? I don't know a lot about human anatomy. I promise you that I know. And I know sometimes we get sensitive about using the word old. My dad gets offended every time it comes out of my mouth about him or not. But I'm telling you right now, 100 is old. Because if we can't call you old when you're 90, when can we call you old? You know, 115, I'm not old yet. And I've still got time in front of me. You know, <laughs> no. She was old. He was old. Okay? They're old when they get the promise, but in 10 years that goes by, they become very old. And, for, and, and whatever supernatural things God's doing in this season, despite that, the season where she is physically able to have children passes in that period. 
It seems like the promise goes from the vaguely possible to the impossible during this season of waiting that they're in. Ten years. Maybe you feel like God's given you a promise. Maybe you feel deep down in your bones that He's promised you something. That He has something for your life that He's told you about, that He's he's said is yours. Maybe you feel like God is going to provide something for you, to lead you somewhere, to use you for something. But the time between that promise and the delivery of that promise just keeps growing. And the message today is about a promise, but it's really about waiting. And waiting is hard. Maybe you received this promise that you heard from God and you're waiting now, or maybe there's just something your heart longs for, and you're in a season of waiting. You're in a season of pause. You're in a season of anticipation, and it's just not moving the way you want it to move. It's Mother's Day, so maybe, maybe today your heart longs to be a mother or a father but you're waiting to meet the right person to start a family. Maybe you and your spouse have prayed and dreamed of children, but every month that goes by is another painful disappointment. Maybe you've longed for a child desperately, but so far you've only suffered loss. Maybe you feel the the promise that God has for you is adoption, but all the cost and the paperwork, and the waiting just feels impossible. Maybe you are the mother of a difficult, exhausting baby, and you're just longing for the day when that child can say, thank you. (laughs) I'm warning you now, they won't, even when they can. (laughs) Maybe you're the mother of a toddler who seems that their only moment, their, their only reason for living right now is to make life difficult for you. And you're dreaming of those elementary school years. Maybe your kids are grown and you're waiting for them to encounter Jesus or overcome indifference. Are you in the waiting season? In this moment? Can you feel the tension? Can you feel the frustration? that Sarah must have felt 10 years of waiting. Maybe that is more relatable than you thought it was. And in that season of waiting, as that time would go by and as she would become more and more impatient, Sarah decided to take matters into her own hands and create her own solution for God's promise. Let's look at her story and see what we can learn from it. I think if Sarah were to sit with us today and talk to us about her story and tell it to us, there'd be three things she would want us to learn from this. I think she'd want us to learn overall to trust God. And I think she'd want us to learn to trust God even if it takes a long time. To trust God even if it takes a long time. Sarah and Abraham waited for 10 years. And that is a long time. That's a serious season. It was enough time for Sarah to lose her ability to have children. And it's hard to wait on God when He doesn't give you a countdown. Because countdowns make waiting easier. You know, I've got a three-year-old, and if I put her in timeout with a countdown, she can make it through that timeout. But if I put her in timeout without a countdown, that girl is going to lose her mind. 
she's going to somehow scream her way across the floor into another room by the time I release her from that time out. You ever been to Disney World? You know, at Disney World, they've got these, these clocks before you go into a line, and it tells you your estimated wait time. And this is a great thing because it gives you the ability to decide, oh, okay, it's a 180-minute wait for a two-minute ride, probably not worth my time, you know, and you can move on and choose not to wait that long. Or you see it's, hey, it's a 45-minute wait so that my daughter can stand in front of a person pretending to be a mermaid. This is normal. Let's do it, you know, and you can, you can, you can get there. And you can spend that 45 minutes waiting, knowing how long it's going to take. It makes it so much easier to get through the wait. But I'm going to tell you people, it didn't always used to be that way at Disney World. When I first started going to Disney World, and I'm not old, but when I first started going to Disney World, there was no sign. You just got in line. You looked at it and you said, that doesn't look so bad. And then you got in line and you made your way through all the chains on the outside and you saw the doorway and you imagined the air conditioning and you're like, almost there, we're going to make it, this is great. And you get through the door and you've only been in 10% of the line. Oh no, 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 Disney, you fooled me again. You know? And this time it's tunnels, so there's no telling how long it will take. I'm telling you, a countdown makes the waiting easier. But when it comes to God's promises, He doesn't give us a countdown. He doesn't tell us how long the waiting will last. And so it makes the waiting more difficult. It makes it more challenging. It makes it more of a trial. You know, God's understanding of time is different from our understanding of time. I heard it said once that a man was having a conversation with God. He said, God, how long is a million years to you? And God said, man, it's just a second. And then the man said, God, how much money is a million dollars to you? And God said, well, it's just a penny. And the man said, God, can I get one of those pennies? And God said, sure, just a second. (laughs) Come on, that's funny. (laughs) That's really funny right there. (laughs) Best joke all day. You can check out now, all right? Listen, even if we begin to understand this, you know, and we appreciate it, we know God's timing is different than ours, and He doesn't give us a counter. Even if we get it, even when we're super spiritual, and we understand that God's timing is the perfect timing, it's hard to wait. It's difficult to anticipate God's promise. And for Abraham and Sarah, they gave up after a while. So it was a common practice in their day and age if you had a wife that couldn't bear children, to bear children through her closest servant. And that would be how you would continue your line. And one day, that's what Abraham and Sarah decided to do despite the promise that God had already given them. Look at Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Isn't that what we do? When life doesn't go the way we want, don't we end up blaming God? God didn't keep Sarah from having children. He promised her that she would have children. But in her season of waiting and in her frustration and in her impatience, she turned the blame to God. The Lord has kept me from having children. That's a loaded sentence. The Lord has kept me from having children, so go and sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed 
to what Sarai said. Yeah, I'll do that, okay. <laughs> Knucklehead. <laughs> you know, I agree, I'll do it. It's for the family. <laughs> it is terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> and if you know the story, if you know the story, they did just that. And Abraham had a child with the servant Hagar that they named Ishmael. Now in time, and I'll get to this in a moment, but in time, God delivered on his promise. And Sarah became pregnant with a young boy named Isaac. And And Ishmael would grow up to father the Arab nation. And Isaac would grow up to father Israel. And to this day, those two people groups are still in conflict. You see, Sarah's and Abraham's decision to come up with a surrogate solution for God's promise led to chaos that still plagues them to this day. When we are impatient with God and we try to force a solution, it leads to chaos. When we don't wait for God's timing, for His promise, for the one that he's given us, for the way that he wants it to happen, and we try to come up with our own solution, it creates chaos in our lives and often in the lives of others. Now hear me out here. Let me stop and pause before I move on. I need you to hear me very clearly at this point in the message, especially if you're in the season of waiting for a child like Sarah was. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying that you shouldn't adopt or use a surrogate mother, or go through treatments and do what it takes to get pregnant. I'm saying you shouldn't come up with your own solution for God's promise. Sarah used sin as a surrogate solution. God's promise for your life does not involve sin. It does not involve shortcuts, which look like sin. God clearly gave her that promise that she would get pregnant but she asked her husband to have sex with somebody else to have a baby through her. So it's important not to hear the wrong truth here because for you, one of those things I talked about, adoption, surrogate mother, treatments, that may be a part of God's promise for you. And anybody who's been through those processes in this room this morning will tell you that in those seasons, there is a lot of waiting and uncertainty and difficult moments. And that still may be a part of God's promise for you. But if in that waiting, you try to force a solution and you try to bring your version of God's promise to light, instead of waiting on His timing, you are going to create chaos in your life. I think the second thing she would say is this, is to trust God even if it seems ridiculous. Even if it seems ridiculous. Here's something we've got to get used to. We want God to fit into our understanding of Him. We want God to do the things that we expect God to do. But God doesn't operate that way. We constantly try to view God through our understanding and our view of the world and our lenses and our expectations. And over and over again, if that's what you put on God, you will be disappointed because God doesn't think the way that you think and He doesn't operate the way that you operate. His ways are higher than our ways. God uses what we think of as foolishness to confound the wise. He does miracles. He raises people from the dead. He creates a road in the middle of the ocean. The things that God does seldom make sense. 
But that's why they come from God and they don't come from us. And so God's promise on your life may feel and sound and seem ridiculous. It may be ridiculous, but that doesn't mean that it's not from God. As the story continues, Hagar has Ishmael and it creates chaos for Sarah and Abraham. There's jealousy and contention and it's not going very well. But then God visits Abraham through three, three messengers. Now there's a lot of theology there I'm not going to get into. The point is that these three messengers were the Spirit of the Lord sent to communicate with Abraham. And, and Abraham's having a conversation with these guys. And they sit and talk for a few minutes. And then one of them asks. In Genesis chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, he says, Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. And then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent because she was nosy and kind of an eavesdropper. She was like, mm-hmm, what's going on in there? Who are you talking to, Abraham? And, and, which was right behind them. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old. Notice she's not old. He's old. She's tired. Will I now have this pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. God shows up and he says he's ready to deliver this promise. But Sarah just thought it was ridiculous. The promise that God had whispered into her heart didn't seem like it was possible to the point where it just made her laugh at how silly it sounded. But God is offended at her lack of faith and says, just wait and see what I'm going to do. Nothing is too difficult for God. And even the ridiculous is possible for Him. Listen, it doesn't matter how crazy your promise sounds. If you believe it's from God, if you read it in Scripture, or you received it in your heart, then He can do it even if it is ridiculous. The third thing is this. Trust God even if those around you don't. Trust He will deliver on that promise even if the people around you don't. We live in a culture where everybody has the opportunity to make an anonymous commentary on our lives. The media and social media make the vocal minority feel like an overwhelming majority right now. And sometimes the promises of God on our lives, it feels ridiculous. And the culture and the world around us confirms that it is ridiculous and it makes it feel impossible. The world reminds us constantly of what is and what is not possible but God defies the expectations of this world. Sarah figured this out because her son was born. And she knew that despite the fact she was holding her baby in her hands, that God had promised her that people were going to think this was crazy. That people wouldn't believe it. People were going to think that she was as crazy as she thought it might be. In, in Genesis chapter 21, verse 6 through 7, the story continues says, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said that, to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? 
Yet I've borne him a son in our old age. Keep trusting God. Keep trusting God. Keep pressing forward. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what your neighbors say. Let them talk. We're going to keep trusting God. And soon they will be laughing with us instead of at us. Sarah was impatient. She provided a surrogate solution and it failed. And it created chaos. She didn't believe it could happen. But then God provided His promise anyways. Isn't that encouraging? That even when we make mistakes, God doesn't remove His promise from our lives. Even when we go the wrong direction, God doesn't remove His promise from our lives. Even when we defy His very pathway, the the, the reason behind everything He's doing, when we just turn our backs on it, God doesn't remove His promise from our lives. Isn't that encouraging to hear that even Sarah... It says in Hebrews 11, I love the emphasis now that we know her story. And by faith, even Sarah, who was far past childbearing age, gave birth to a son. And, God, and, and because she considered him faithful, who made the promise. God is faithful who makes the promise, even when we are not. That's who he is. And God's promise on your life is as good today as it was yesterday and will be tomorrow. We just have to be patient. We just have to be patient. And so on the other side of God's promise, she had a different perspective. And I think if she could just sit with us and process everything that happened, I think she'd have just a couple things to leave us with here today. I think first she would say, don't try to get ahead of God when he isn't moving fast enough for you. Don't try to get ahead of God when he isn't moving fast enough for you. Listen, a surrogate solution is no substitution for when God's plan comes to fruition. Come on, somebody. I'm like Al Sharpton up here today. I wrote that in my office this week. I got excited about it. That's good right there. I felt your amens. I could feel them. You didn't have to say it. It's so easy in our impatience with God to rush a solution that creates chaos for our lives. It's so easy in our impatience with God's plan to develop our own plan, which ends up just making a mess of things. When I was 25 years old, Rael and I had to make a decision. We, 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 we were, I was, my contract with the Coast Guard was up. I'd been in six years, and we felt compelled to go into ministry. We felt like God was leading us that direction, and specifically like He wanted me to start a church. But I knew I needed to train for a few years first, and so I began to, to just get impatient. Because I felt like God told me he was going to walk me down a path that was going to train me and prepare me to go start a church, which he had called and given me the promise that he would do. Well, I got impatient, and so I began to take things into my own hands to create my own solutions. Her brother, Milo, had started a church up in Buffalo and uh, New York, and he was an experienced church planner, and so uh, this was a new church. They didn't have any staff positions, no way to hire me. I had no concept of raising a salary and raising funds at that time, and neither did he. That wasn't the way he had done it, and so the only option was for me to find a job and work full-time outside of the Coast Guard and then also uh, work at his church and try to learn everything I could from him about church planning. Except it was 2011, and there was absolutely no economy in Buffalo, New York, let alone anywhere else. And so Buffalo was just destroyed by the economic downturn. I couldn't find work anywhere. I had no idea what I would even do. I had been a gunner's mate, a small arms instructor for the Coast Guard. That doesn't translate to a lot of regular jobs. You know, It's not like, hey, I'd be a great fit for your marketing department because I've cleaned a lot of guns. So... Um, <laughs> 
You should hire me. No, it's, it was hard to figure out. And I had to support a family with it. All these minimum wage jobs. In Buffalo at the time, it was like $8 an hour just wasn't going to cut it. And so I couldn't figure out what was going to do next, but we were going to go for it, and it was going to create chaos in our lives. But fortunately, God's promise came in before it was too late. You see, I got a phone call one day from a detailer. That's a Coast Guard guy that gives out jobs. And he said, John, Mark, we spent too much money and time training you. We don't want you to leave. I'm going to give you a list of five dream jobs, and you can pick whichever one you want to go to. And on that list, by circumstance, maybe, probably more so by God's promise, was a job in San Francisco, California, where one of the guys that mentored me had started a church from scratch that had been very successful with one of the best church planning teams in the nation. And this job was only Monday through Thursday, 30 hours a week for the Coast Guard. And it would give me plenty of time and opportunity to work for that church as well and apprentice them. And even I got the opportunity to start a student ministry from scratch at this church and do everything I would need to do to learn how to do this because God's promise is better than our solution. And how many people know the weather in California is better than the weather in Buffalo, New York? Amen, somebody? Because God's promise for your life is better than anything that you can dream up on your own. Don't get impatient in the waiting. In fact, I know the waiting season is hard. I know it is. But God's promise is worth the wait. And Peter even says, God isn't even slow. You just don't have the right understanding of what slow is. Second Peter 3.9, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Instead, he is patient. God's not slow. He's patient, and he's trying to cultivate the same thing in us. Here's the secret to patience. Do something else in the meantime. Now, I don't mean pick up carpentry as a hobby while you wait for the promised child or for your kids to reach the next phase or for your adult kids to snap out of indifference. I mean something very specific. You know what I love about the Bible is that whenever we have troubles or problems or things that we have to solve, that it often gives solutions if we, if we read it and if we study it and if we ask God's truth to speak to us. I believe it does. And I believe a lot of times we can learn exactly what to do next. And Psalm 37, 7 gives the answer, I believe, to developing patience during these waiting seasons. It says this, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Here's a practice that I learned here, Psalm 37, 7, that helps me with my everyday life. Something that I, lo that I love and that has taught me patience. I'm not a patient person. I am not. If I want something, I wanted it yesterday. You know, I want, if, I, if I'm hungry for Mexican food today for lunch, I'm just mad I didn't eat it yesterday. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm impatient. And, and God's taught me patience through this practice. I call it stillness with the Lord. I take 10 minutes, just 10 minutes, whenever you're feeling like the waiting season is too much. And I'm not, so I'm not even asking you to read your Bible and pray. This is separate from my quiet times with God. I'll just pop in my earphones, put on some worship music, and just spend 10 minutes worshiping him, centering myself on him, remembering that he is good who gave me the promise, that he always follows through, that he never leaves anything undone, that our father is the creator. He creates all things good and he is creating something good in me. And I just think about it and I just get quiet and I just push out the stress and I push out the tension. And I promise you, if you can do this, it will teach you patience. Now, mamas, I know it's Mother's Day 
and you're just all rolling your eyes at me right now. I can see you, okay? I can see you from up here. And you're all thinking, I got a three-year-old, and you're telling me that 10 minutes alone is going to make my patients better? When am I supposed to be alone? Listen, mamas, take those kids, just lock them in a closet for 10 minutes, throw the earbuds in, get some noise-canceling headphones, you know, take them. You know what I do? Just put them in the bathtub and walk away for a few minutes. What's the worst that could happen? Just throw them in the bathtub. They'll be fine. Give them a few toys, you know, and, and then take a moment and spend this time with God. I'm telling you, if you can learn to be still with God, it will reset your mind. It will teach you patience. It will make the waiting season easier than it was before. And patience will melt away. If you don't believe me, just try it. Second thing is this. When you must wait, focus on what's happening in you, not what's happening to you. Focus what's happening in you, not what's happening to you. I believe the waiting season has a purpose. That God is cultivating something in you during the waiting season. And I know it's hard. I know it is. But there's a season for everything. Solomon so eloquently puts it in Ecclesiastes 3.1. There is a time for everything. For everything there is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. Every season has a purpose. Or better than that, every season can be used for the good of Him who gives you purpose. And instead of wishing away this season for the next one, trust God's promise and lean in to what He's doing to prepare you in this season for the next one. Listen, God cares more about your character than your comfort. He cares more about your character than your comfort. He knows that even though you're uncomfortable in this season, he's developing the character you will need for the next one. I do this with my daughter. I care more about her character than her comfort. When she says to me, Daddy, I want to eat a cookie for dinner, and I say, no, you're going to eat roast beef, and, and she doesn't like that, I'm doing it because I can see two outcomes here. When I put her in time out, and I say, Eleanor, you got three minutes of time out because you weren't kind and you're developing character traits that I don't want to see in you as an adult. She can't see in that moment that what I'm doing is cultivating character over her comfort. And our father does the same thing for us. Our Father can see the whole picture. He doesn't see just the moment that we're in. He doesn't see just the difficult season. He doesn't see just the time of waiting. He can see the end result. And He can see the path that we're taking. And He can see that if we could cultivate the character inside of us, if through our uncomfort, through our pain, through our seasons of weeping, if we would come to be the person that He dreamed we would be, there is a promise on the other side better than anything we ever dreamed of. You see, God can see what's on the other side of your season of pain, of your season of waiting. And he's creating something inside of you. He's doing a work inside of you. And you've got to lean into it in these seasons. My, my wife gave birth to our second daughter six, uh, nine weeks ago, tomorrow, nine weeks ago. Little Dagny will be nine weeks, and she's got more hair than I do already, which is exciting. And, I, and I, I was there in the, in the delivery room. I do miss the days that you see on television where the father just marches around in the waiting room with a cigar and is like, is the baby here yet? Is it here? You know, those days are gone. Now you've got to sit there and be terrified too, you know. And um, 
I was sitting there, and, and my wife is amazing because she's done. She's got two children now with not even a Tylenol, you know, no, no, no pain medication or whatever. And trust me, there's no judgment on that here because I've told her that if it were me, I'd want general anesthesia, put me under, wake me up when they're seven years old, you know, and and I will be good to go. You know, I don't even want to deal with that. I can't. I mean, I mean, I'm like, I'm taking Tylenol while she's going through it. You know, I'm like, I'll take some. Uh, can I have the epidural, please? This is uncomfortable. And so she's going through this. And on her face, you know, we're just like 30 minutes from the baby coming, you know. And on her face is the most, just the most honest expression of pain I've ever seen in my entire life. And it got me to thinking this last time I was looking at her and I was thinking, you know what? This is one of the very, very few times in life where pain isn't an indicator of something bad that has happened, but it's an indicator of something good that is coming. And in your life, you may be experiencing pain, but I want to encourage you that it doesn't have to be a season that reminds you of something bad that has happened, but this season of pain could be a season to prepare you for something good that is coming. I tried to share that with my wife in that moment, and she was not interested. There are times when it stinks to be married to a pastor. That was one of them. I was like, look what God is doing in you. And she was like, shut up, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, honey. Don't be mad at me. Happy Mother's Day. I love you. The nurse said she was the most graceful person she'd ever seen. Beautiful. And so, any of y'all want to take her out to lunch after this? I'll be in trouble. But it occurred to me in this, okay, Romans 8, 24 through 25, it says this. It says this. i got to hurry up. This is why waiting does not diminish us. Any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. How many pregnant moms out there know waiting doesn't diminish you? It enlarges you. And don't blame me. It says we are enlarged in the waiting. All right, it's Bible. I didn't make it up. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become. That is your life verse, pregnant mothers. Amen. Come on. The longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. God is growing something inside of you during this season of discomfort. And you got to lean into it and get joyful in the expectancy. Don't rush a solution. Let God do what he's going to do. James 1, 2 through 4 says, consider it. Pure joy, and I changed it for Mother's Day. Consider it pure joy, my mothers, whenever you face trials of many kids. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. Last thing I think Sarah would say is this. Even our very best cannot possibly compare to anything God has in mind. Even our very best ambitions, our very best solutions, our very best plans, our very biggest dreams cannot even come close to what God has already dreamed for you. His dreams for you are bigger than you've ever imagined. He's got a, a much better plan for your life than anything that you have. Wait for Him. Wait for him. Let him work in you. Don't force a solution. Be patient. And he will deliver you from this season. He has a promise waiting for you on the other side of it. Be patient. Don't create chaos in your life. 
by forcing the promise. Trust that God has a plan in this season. Lean into the waiting. Lean into this uncomfortable moment. Lean into it. Process it. But trust God through it. And he will give you more than you've ever hoped for, more than you've ever asked for. He's waiting to deliver a promise on your life that is the most beautiful thing you have ever dreamed. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are, God. I thank you so much for for what you're doing inside of us, God. I thank you for the, the ways that you transform us, Father God. I thank you for the waiting. I'm not a patient man, Father, but I know you've got work to do in me. And so I thank you for making me wait sometimes. I thank you, Father God, for the moments when I'm uncomfortable because I know you're crafting my character. God, I just ask that you would remind us of the goodness of your promise this morning. Remind us of the fullness of your blessing this morning. Remind us of everything that you want to do in us and with us and through us this morning. And God, we give you this season. We give you our dreams, Father. We know that yours are better. We give you our plans, God. We know that yours are perfect. Father God, we lay at your feet this morning every surrogate solution, everything we've tried to rush, every, every moment where we've tried to force your promise, we lay it down before you and say it's yours today, Father God. We wait for you, Lord. We trust in you. And we lean on your promises this morning. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.